I went into a bit of Stephen Batchelor's fourfold task, which is, um, I, I, I really like the way he um, I like the way he frames the eightfold eight, uh, the four four noble truths in that way, rather than these truths out there that we need to know or understand or study, but to um, they are instead a uh, uh, something a call to action tasks where we embrace our suffering and we are willing to let go of the causes of that suffering and we recognize when we're not suffering and we undertake this path of ethical, um, this path of integrity and ethical behavior which leads to the end of suffering and that is the Eightfold Path. And so over the next several weeks, I want to go through the different factors of the Eightfold Path because they are, as the subtitle of this book is, the way to, end, the way, way to the end of suffering, which is what the Buddha taught. The nature of suffering, the causes of suffering, and the end of suffering. And suffering is a big word, so it's also the end of discontent, unease, discomfort, reactivity. So the end of reactivity, our autopilot response to um, what is happening in our lives. And uh, one of the other things that I really appreciate about Stephen Batchelor is he really believes that it's not about this idea of um, nirvana that we're, we're marching towards, but that there's a, a, this liberation that we can experience in, right here, right now. So it's, it's this present time freedom, even momentarily freedom. It's, you know, sometimes we have that, those periods of calm and ease. And when we're paying attention, we can actually be in them. And then sometimes they pass. It's not because we suck and we're bad at doing this. It's just because that's the nature of the wave. It's absolutely the nature of the wave. And so, what are the conditions that lead to the arising of this equanimity, and how do we, we work towards that? And that's the Eightfold Path. That is this, this path that is divided into three sections. It's not actually a path, a linear path. It often, you'll see it um, uh, usually depicted as a circle. All right, who's got a tattoo of the Eightfold Path? <laughs> Okay, I found, I realized I have one. It was, it's it's a, an addition to a, it's a, this is, this circle is the eightfold path. And again, it looks more like a wheel because you can plop in anywhere. That's the beauty of Buddhist teaching. You can, you can plug in where it makes the most sense. There's, what are they, 80,000 Dharma doors and all these doors into which you can access the teachings. And so this eightfold path is this, um, this circular path that you can plop in, but generally we talk about the first section is the wisdom section, which includes right view, seeing things clearly, right, wise view, wise understanding, wise intention. That's the wisdom section. Then the, the uh, section of uh, sila, which people use the word, the Pali word sila a lot, but it, it means integrity, living, with integrity, ethical behavior. That's the second section. And then the third section is concentration and um, mindfulness, which is 
which is really important. Um, it's, it's extraordinarily important because without mindfulness, we're well, um, scattered, can be scattered. And uh, they, these different factors support each other. So wise effort supports mindfulness, and mindfulness supports wise view. And so they're, they're, you, know, you, you plop into them, and then you begin to investigate them. And over the course of your months and years of study, you're able to really disentangle the more and more subtle ways that we are stuck on our fixed views or stuck in our, uh, our, uh, uh, our conditioned behaviors. And uh, so wise view is extremely important. It's the forerunner of the whole path. It's, the, uh, it's like a guide for all the other factors. We have to really begin to see clearly. And Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's this wonderful monk who wrote this lovely little book, says that, um, he said, it's the forerunner of the entire path and the guide for the other factors. It enables us to understand our starting point our destination, and the successive landmarks to pass as practice advances. To attempt to engage in the practice without a foundation of right view is to risk getting lost in the futility of undirected movement. So if we're not beginning to pay attention to our understanding and seeing things clearly, we're just kind of like bouncing from one, it's like a pinball game if you think about it. If you remember pinball, um, where the, the you just the, you shoot the ball and it just bounces from here to there to there to here, um, and then you got a flapper that kind of tries to get it going in a direction, and you do it or you don't. But that's kind of um, that's kind of how we run our lives when we don't pay attention. We're driven by our conditioning. We're driven by how we grew up, the messages we are taught, the messages we receive. Um, and before we cultivate wise view, I'll say, I'll go back and forth between right and wise and view and understanding. They're, they, they're called and translated as the same. I actually prefer wise because sometimes right has a connotation that implies, well, you're doing it wrong. And wise rather than uh, unskillful. Buddhism tries to be kind in its language. <clears throat> which is nice, so we don't beat ourselves up. Um, so before wise view, we're lost in delusion. We're lost in not seeing clearly. Um, we're lost in this, these preconceived notions of how things are, how things might be, how things are supposed to be. And um, our views, whether they're wise or not, govern our lives, and we have to begin to investigate them, especially if we have this underlying current of discomfort or dissatisfaction. That's what drove the Buddha, the Siddhartha Gautama, out into the street, out into the, the away from his home. It was this sense of discontentment, this wanting to find a way out of suffering, his a way to check his unease. And so he moved into um, a world of investigation. What is this? What is this? I, I offered that. I offered that line in the in the um, meditation practice. What is this? What is this? And stop taking our our ideas and our habitual 
thought patterns for granted. Just because we always thought this way, is it actually real? Is it actually true? And what maybe is underneath these things? Because we have, um, you know, our views condition our actions. And if we're working with deluded views, then we're going to walk in direction that causes suffering. If we think we have to have the prize and our life depends on the prize, then we're going to chase the prize. But do we ever stop to think that maybe the prize isn't what we want? Whatever that prize is, we all have a different prize. We all, we all value something deeply. We all have different ideas of what we want from life. That will make us happy. That will be the prize. If only, if only this would happen, and I'd be happy. But how often is that? We get that, and then it's and it's like, oh yeah, well maybe I was wrong. Maybe that's the prize, and so I'm going to skittle over there, hunt that down. So when we when we begin to change our perception and change our way of looking at things, we we have uh, we begin to cultivate freedom. And this is the that quote from William Blake, which I like. Um, we see, when we begin to see, we see eyes, uh, when he talks, and well, actually, what this famous quote is about the, um, the doors of perception is about wrong view, well, not wise view. If the doors of perception were cleared, everything would appear to man as it, as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees things through the narrow chinks of his cavern. He sees things through his cavern, his preconceived notions about things. It's like Plato's cave, if you know that story, where these people are only facing the back of a cave and all they see are shadows. But that's their entire world. And we have our doors of perception through which we think, see things. We have our blinders on. I always talk about it as having a pea brain. I had, this, I had this pea brain for a really long time. And that was where my world revolved. And the idea that there was anything outside of that was quite ex extraordinary. But this practice is like trying to break through that pea brain, you know, and get a break in the, uh, what is he called, the um, a chink in, the, in the, the, ch the narrow chinks of his cavern, start breaking through the, the doorways, you know, start breaking through, breaking down the doorway so that you can see broader. Because if you can only see through a doorway, you have a very limited view. So it's our fixed views that we've developed. And we don't actually know them until we investigate them. Because there's implicit memory and explicit memory. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, okay. This is great. Um, Implicit bias, explicit bias. And this, Rick Hansen talks about this in his book, Buddha's Brain, and um, other places they, they talk about it too. We have um, explicit memory, which are the things we remember and we can, we, can, we can recall fairly easily, like, or not, you know, what we had for breakfast, where we parked our car, how to get home after class. Those are things that are fairly, hopefully, easy to grasp. But the implicit memories are those memories that are deeply embedded that we've actually spent probably perhaps a lifetime or a great amount of time 
shutting, stuffing down because they're, we were taught they were inappropriate or they were terrifying or traumatizing or something, but they drive us even though we don't know about it. They drive us to do things we may not want to do. There's a really powerful story that I remembered the other day when I was thinking about this, and I can't remember the, man, the monk's name. He, he's taught, a, he's taught uh, I've sat with him a few times, and he, uh, he wrote a book called At Hell's Gate. He's a, he's a yeah, Claude Anton Thomas. Yeah, he's great. Thank you. And uh, he was a, he's a Vietnam vet, and he was messed up before he went in the army. And then when he went in the army, he went to Vietnam. It screwed him up even more. And he came out a drug addict and an alcoholic and all these fine, wonderful things. So when he got out of um, after after he was back from the army and from serving in Vietnam, he got married, and he he and his wife had a child, and the child was only a few weeks old, and he left. He wanted to have the child. He was happy the child was born, but after a few weeks, he just packed up and left left his left his wife and his child. And he 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 was racked with guilt because he didn't know what was driving that. He did not understand why he did what he did. And then um, at some point, he bumped into uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and Thich Nhat Hanh's people, and he thought it was quite ironic that he had spent all these years learning to hate the Vietnamese, and then it was a Vietnamese monk who actually began to offer him a way out. And he studied, and he sat, and he learned, and what became apparent to him after quite a, a, a length of practice was he all of a sudden he, had, he remembered this um, incident when he was in Vietnam and he and his, his, his uh, unit walked into a village and a baby started crying and almost immediately after the baby started crying his unit was attacked and there were a lot of casualties and it was, it was, it was really quite, um, it was not a good thing. And so what was tied in his mind was a baby crying to this horrific event but he had stuffed it, he had put it down and it was implicit. It was in there. It was he was unable to access it, but it caused him to do things he didn't want to do. That's quite an extreme example, but we all have those things, and so we do stuff that causes you know we do things that cause us to um, create suffering for ourselves or others or cause harm to ourselves or others. That actually should be a, a, a flag for a time out. Wait a minute, what's going on here? It's time to bring some um, investigation, some inspection. It's time to stop and really begin to look at this and say, what's really going on here? Am I operating at a at a at a, at a Explicit level or an implicit level, and so we stop. And mindfulness, obviously, is a again. It's not just get wise view and then move on down the the the, the path. You have mindfulness supporting the practice of wise view because you, when you begin to sit quietly and allow the space for these things to arise, that's what happened to Tom Quanchin Thomas. He began to practice meditation, and he made the space for these things to come, to arise, so that he could see how he was caught up in this delusion. 
this ignorance of, of the real things that we're driving at. So that's what we're all doing when we begin to look at wise view. Part of the teaching of wise view is also the, that our actions, it's also um, uh, seeing the impact of karma um, and how we are heirs to our actions. Not necessarily karma in the rebirth uh, idea of it, but how our mind, you know, mind follows mind and our, our thoughts direct our actions. And, uh, that's, again, a core teaching that mind follows mind like a, a cart follows an ox. I always get that wrong. Yes, a cart follows if the ox is leading the cart, and the, and, the, and the ox moves, and the cart follows behind it. And as our mind goes, the, the, so our actions go. And when we are clear about our motives, and I'll talk about this next week, because next week is about intention, you know, how we how we set an intention to move in this, in this direction that's wise. Um, but we have to see that, um, well, let me come back a little bit. It's, we can have, um, what did I say here? We need to have actions that stem from greed or hatred or delusion. Um, there are unwholesome roots, even if the results are are, are what we would say positive. So you can, you can have awful intentions and have positive results, but they're still unwholesome, if that makes sense. And we can have wholesome intentions and do something that has um, less beneficial results. But what is really key here is our intention and how we move forward. If we're driven by this ethical behavior, this wholesomeness, this clear seeing, this recognition of, of the three characteristics, the three characteristics being um, dukkha, that there, is dis, that there is discomfort in this world, that we, as I talked about last week, we have to embrace the fact that there's suffering. We have to embrace that and embrace our suffering. Not, not chase it, but say, yeah, it's here. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and she was, she was talking about, you know, she's not used to this practice of, of feeling the sadness and being okay with it. And she feels weird. She goes, there's got to be something wrong, because you were so unused to it, but it's new. It's like, because it, you go, I've got to be not doing something. You ever question yourself when you're, when you're able to hold something that you were never able to hold, and then you start doubting yourself, going, no, this can't be right. I've got to be doing it wrong. Instead of recognizing, no, sometimes when we're doing things differently, it feels weird because we're not used to it. But to recognize that and say, no, being able to hold the sadness without having to fix it is wisdom, is wisdom is seeing clearly that there is dukkha, there is suffering, there is discomfort in this world. We don't get out of here without it. It's the human condition. So clearly seeing this is part of that first noble truth. We embrace it. Go, yeah, it's like this. It's like this. 
And I just saw the last this sign on the wall. It says, enjoy this life. And we, we embrace the joy that's there, too. We embrace joy when it's there. Anybody in here have a hard time with that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> few, few, few head hands raised. Yeah. Because it's going to go away. We have to embrace everything. Whatever is present right now, that's, that's seeing clearly. That's being present. Another, fa- oh, another of the pieces of, uh, of um, the characteristic is that um, everything passes. There, everything's impermanent. And the five remembrances are really good for that. You know, um, we are all of the nature to get sick grow old and die. Everything we have will be taken from us. This is sounds, I'm sorry, this is like Bummersville, but you know, it's, it's, it's actually, when you, when you get past it, my experience has been, is it's actually incredibly freeing because denying the reality causes a real, a real disconnect with what's going on. It's a real disconnect when you're, you know, Ram Dass is, um, some of you may know who he is. He wrote a book in the 60s called Be Here Now. Um, and uh, he, I, I was reading a piece in a, in a book I was reading for a class I took, and he talked about when his grandmother was dying many, many years ago. And years ago, it's gotten a lot better, but years ago, they would not tell people in the hospital that they were dying. They would, like, try and keep it from them. It was this false optimism and so people it's like no no you got you're good you're good you're good you're good it was this like insane thing and he was visiting his grandmother who was obviously dying and everyone was like no you're gonna be fine we'll get you out you'll be home in no time and he went in and when he was alone with her he talked to her about dying and she was so grateful because she was experiencing this particular reality where she knew it was the end of her life, but people were denying it left and right, and there was this tremendous disconnect from her, and she felt so alone. And when he was able to talk about the difficulty, the difficult things that we don't want to talk about because we're like, la, 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 la. no, um, it was really so helpful for her. And she was so grateful for, to him. And, it, and when you can be real in these conversations, whatever the conversations are that we need to have, to say, right now it's like this, acknowledging whatever's present, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly freeing. So, so recognizing that there is discomfort, there's suffering in this world, there's pain, there's the human condition, recognizing that things pass, everything passes, and also recognizing that there is no, it's, it's not personal. It's not personal. You know, there's no fixed self that we have that is being attacked or being, uh, 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 things are coming after. Uh, it's the teaching of, um, this, this goes into a whole other realm on teachings of emptiness and no self, but that we are conditioned beings. We are the product of our conditioning whatever that is, and there's no fixed 
Mary. There's no little Mary inside of here that's just, I peel all this away, there's this never-changing person. I'm, conti I'm continually being impacted by my surroundings. We all are. We all are. If not, then we wouldn't. Have, then things would just roll off us because we are like, okay, we're these these creatures that are not going to change, and it doesn't matter what's going to happen. We're just like things will bounce off us. That's the image that I come that comes up for me when I think about this unconditioned being. But that's not how it works. We're impacted, and we we change and shift every day, and you know. Um, right now, there's a lot of a lot of insanity in our in our world in our country that is impacting us in many many ways, and it's I think you know driving us to a, hopefully a lot of different actions um, to change the harm that we see being caused to to speak truth to what's happening. That's really an important part of this whole thing is is become when you're mindful and you're aware and you're present and you can say yes, I understand what's going on, we become engaged. Whatever form that engagement takes, however we can do things, whatever we do, um, that's, that's part of this waking up practice process. So really coming to see that there is uh, anicca, anatta, and dukkha. There through some more poly words at you, but that whenever I go on retreat, I always have fantasies of what my next tattoo will be. And for many retreats now, it's been Anicca and Anatta on my wrist. And Anicca means impermanence, and Anatta means no self. But I haven't gotten there yet, so I don't know if that one will ever happen. It may just always remain a fantasy, but just as another reminder of um, impermanence, and, and it's not personal. This shit happens to everyone. How can you hold it? And then um, one of the other the other uh, teachings around wise view is to understand. And this is where Buddhism, the Buddhist teachings, are in these little circles, these nesting, these you know those Russian nesting dolls or circles that lead to they just flow back on themselves. The noble, the the four noble truths lead to the eightfold path, and then part of wise view is a real understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Is again, seeing what I was just talking about, that there is this discomfort that we create our own suffering by our clinging to pleasure, our pushing away pain, and to really embrace the reality of our human condition is where the freedom lies. It's where the freedom is. Um, and we have to uh, go, go at it via um, meditation. Oh, I know, there's one other thing I wanted to say because there's this great quote in here I have. One of the things we get caught up on when we're stuck in our um, wrong view and our cravings is our expectations. So expectation is a word that might be helpful to, for you to use when you're feeling, ah, 
What, and I don't know, I don't have a word for that. <laughs> you probably know what I mean. Um, you know, when you're in traffic or, or there's horrible things happening, it's like, the expectation that it should be different. It's actually expectation when we're frustrated and our expectations aren't met, it's because we're not okay with the way it is. When we can't be with what is, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're, we're sad, we're, we're whatever our tendency is. And so there's this great line about expectations. And it says, wrong view occurs when we impose our expectations onto things. Expectations about how we hope things will be or how we are afraid things might be. Right view occurs when we see things simply as they are. It is an open and accommodating attitude. We abandon hope and fear and take joy in a simple, straightforward approach to life. We let go of the way things need to be and take, take a joy in a simple, straightforward approach to life. It's like this. Well, what is this? What is this? Again, not dismissing the, um, the awful things, not saying, oh, it's okay, really being cautious about spiritual bypass in this teaching and spiritual bypass. And I was reading an article, oh, I was reading a book by Tanisara. I, I can't remember what the book is called, but um, she's, a, uh, she's a wonderful teacher. And she talks about how B Buddhist, Buddhism as it's been imported in the insight tradition and how it's been used by convert Buddhists over the last 40 years has been a practice of kind of spiritual bypass, which is this way of using meditation and the teachings to skip over the difficulties of life. You know, skipping over the reality of what's happening. Um, uh, and saying, oh, using Buddhist platitudes to say, oh, can't we all just get along and ignore what's really happening? Like when we start infinity of affinity groups, like people of color groups or LGBTQ groups, and there was a lot of pushback on that against the stream when we were starting those many years ago, people pushing back, but we're all supposed to be one. This is so un-Buddhist. And it's like, you don't have a fucking clue about the reality of the world that people live in. What were those groups? Um, people were. of color. But they were just curious, what, what were people pushing against? The idea that we were having them, saying that they were discriminatory and... You mean groups used to be segregated? That there were groups for people of color. We still have them. They're still going on. Oh, I mean, you, oh, you have separate groups for people. Yeah, for okay. people of color and LGBTQ and women. And they'd be close to... They're close to anybody because there's, 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 a, there's a need for people to have a space where they can share their experience that without, without the other, the other who is very privileged coming in and going, well, you know... Yeah. So that's the important that, but but the, they were using when we the pushback was that's not very Buddhist, you know, which is that spiritual bullshit bypass, saying you are not aware of the reality of people's existence. Yet on some kind of absolute level, we all are one, we all are interconnected, but there's so much 
there's so much trauma, there's so much reality still ongoing in our, in our culture, in our world, that has to be dealt with. And people's pain and suffering and has to actually be addressed. That's part of embracing the reality of people's experiences, making a space that's safe for people to, to show up however they are without the, without the mask on and to watch that spiritual bypassing. So wise view has to, you have to really pay attention to that as we move through this, this as well, watching the, oh yeah, you know, just skipping over. No, no, just practice harder. You know, then it becomes a shaming thing. You're not practicing, you're not being a good Buddhist, you need to sit more retreats, maybe you should kick up your practice a little bit so you can become empty and be at one with all beings, you know? It's 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 a it's a uh, it's a it's a not wise thing and it's a harmful thing because it's it's a way for people not to have to deal. And then going back to what I was starting to say before, this practice of meditation and mindfulness is extremely uh, important because. We have to, um, what does he say? We have to penetrate the, he's talking about the noble truths and the um, recognizing the idea of suffering. And we have to not just study these, but we have to penetrate and understand these truths. Um, and we have to arrive at experiential realization of these truths, which is what I've been talking about since the beginning, is really embracing the, the knowledge of our suffering and our experience. And in order to do that, to have that experiential realization, it's necessary to take up the practice of meditation. First, to strengthen the capacity for sustained concentration, our ability to be with what's arising, discomfort, joy. And then to develop insight, insight meaning wisdom, to be able to see clearly what's happening, to, to, to break down these barriers, to break through that pea brain, to open up the door, whatever metaphor you want to throw at it, to begin to, to see and disentangle the, 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 the conditioning. Meditation is, is, is necessary because that's where your shit shows up. You know, if you spend enough time with your eyes closed on a cushion or a chair, it's going to show up. Shower's another place it shows up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> because there's no distraction. There's all of a sudden the mind is quiet, and here it comes. So building up that concentration gives us the ability to be with it. And again, we start where we are. We put a toe in the water. You know, we don't have to solve it all in one swell foop. It takes time. It took Claudette Chin Thomas years to uncover that that deep truth of why he walked away from his family. You know, I think there's enough there's practitioners in this room who've been doing this for years and I know it's taking time to get to a place of non-reactivity, not being on autopilot. And then you get, you know, I'm gonna Throw, throw in for my undefended heart. It's, it's, it's a takes years to, you know, be willing to say yes. 
to whatever's there. But when you can say yes, there's a tremendous freedom because you don't have to hide from anything. It takes time. And we have to not throw ourselves out when we're not ready. It takes time. We have to be kind to ourselves in this whole process and really be gentle. But do it. You know, be willing to do it, whatever it looks like for each of us. So those are my thoughts around wise view. I'm happy to have any conversation or comments or thoughts or rebuttals or questions or